In the financial stocks, AIB is unchanged at 180. Bank of Ireland is down a penny at 188, while Anglo-Irish Bank is also down one at 35. Green Gore shares were suspended on the Dublin and London stock exchanges this morning, and the Dublin exchange has already begun an investigation. Somebody who can make you money. I think as Margaret Thatcher said, you can't book the markets. At the end of the day, the markets will triumph over government because there's the, the mountain of money that, that's there. Certainly there is greed, and I mean, I don't find anything sort of particularly wrong with profit. Stockbroking is great fun. It really is good fun. Financial services of this nature, at least, um, are simply a requirement of modern-day commerce. Um, we see our role simply to provide them. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. You know that bit at the end of the 6 o'clock news? The bit where they look very serious and tell us how the markets felt today, confident or nervous. You may have wondered, what in the name of God are they talking about? Stock markets and money markets, what are they? What are they for? And who runs them? While we struggle for the bare necessities, are the people in the markets making millions on top of the millions they have already? How come they get to do that? Because that's life. Some have a lot, some have a little. The markets, however, have everything. They are the centre of our economic universe. Directly or indirectly, they control all the money. Forget about business, banks or Bertie Ahern. If you have any cash in your pocket, the markets put it there. And the markets can take it away. Brendan McGrath is the markets editor of the Irish Times. The stock market is basically where, um, if you want to buy shares in companies, that's where you have to go. Um, it's, basically a, it's basically a market where shares in companies, the banks, the big industrial companies, change hands. Um, you just go, you make a bid for um, shares through a stockbroker and they try to match you with uh, a seller. Um, that's basically, that's, that's it at its simplest. And how does that process work? The process is pretty simple. There's about 90 companies um, quoted on the Irish stock market at the moment, including the banks, CRH, Smurfit, the big food companies. The, the simplest process is if you, say, have a £1,000 to spend and you want to invest it in um, AIB, you will go to your stockbroker and say, I have a £1,000. I want to pay up to a certain price and I don't want you to buy shares at any, at any price above that and then his job then is to go into the market he'll sort of put your deal together with a lot of other ones and he'll do he'll try and find sort of um, a seller of shares at that price and he will take his commission on uh, the size of the on, on the total size of the transaction simply put companies are carved into millions of little bits shares and sold off the more little bits you buy, the more of the company you own. Time was when the only place in town to go for little bits was the Stock Exchange, located in Anglesey Street in Dublin. It's basically a large room where a dozen or so dealers sit in a circle and call out the names of the shares they want to buy or sell. A bit like Moore Street, except everyone wears nice suits. One of those well-dressed people is Tom Healy, the manager of the Stock Exchange. Well, the Stock Exchange is here since uh, 1793. This year is 201 years old. Um, at one time, actually, in the middle of the last century, there were three stock exchanges in Dublin, one in Cork, one in Belfast. Uh, now it's just one in the country. But in 1973, which is 21 years ago, it and all the other stock exchanges in Ireland and the UK merged into one, which is still the controlling body called the International Stock Exchange of the United Kingdom or Republic of Ireland Limited. Now it's fairly well known that uh, we are soon going to separate uh, 
uh, from that uh, overall company. And then we'll have an IRA stock exchange, which will be a completely uh, standalone independent stock exchange. Of course, in the technological 90s, most of the business isn't done at the stock exchange at all. It's conducted down phone lines and on computer screens between people who may never actually meet each other. Nowadays, the stock exchange concentrates on regulation, making sure that the bills are paid on time and that the deals done aren't dodgy. One of the companies the stock exchange regulates is Bloxham's, based in trendy Temple Bar. Bloxham's is both a corporate and private client broker, which means it buys and sells shares to both companies and to individuals with lots of dosh. Time was when dosh also meant posh, but according to managing director Angus MacDonnell, things have changed. Yes, I would think so, yes. Originally at one stage um, one had to buy seats in the stock exchange. Now, uh, you know, if you've got the qualifications, you know, people are chasing you. It's very, very hard to get people who are actually very good to come into the market. You know, there's pressure from the banks for them, there's pressure all over the place. So really, you know, if you're good, you'll get into a stock exchange now. There's no, there's no sort of old boy network. I mean, all the firms now, you know, they almost completely renew themselves probably every 10 or 15 years. There's a lot of poaching going on of staff. Continual poaching. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you, you, sometimes in the morning you wake up and sort of wonder, is everybody going to be here when you get in that day? Because people are coming and going. Literally, they go from firm from from firm to firm. One member of staff they have managed to hold on to so far is Darina Heavey, one of Bloxham's private client stockbrokers. So what does she do, and does she have to get up early in the morning to do it? Ten to seven. <laughs> this is going to be full of lies now because some of my clients won't get me at half past <laughs> half past eight some mornings and I claim I'm in at eight o'clock. Generally, the morning would start about eight o'clock. The stock exchange in London starts at half past eight. So you get in at eight to see what results are going to come out that day, what's in the papers, what's been tipped, what's been recommended, a um, little review of what results came out the day before, whether your analysis of what happened the day before is exactly the same as what, what, what what the general market thinks as well and the market then starts at about half eight and you might give people an update of how things are going how the states finished last night and you'd spend some time then uh, talking to your clients and updating them uh, you're dealing with correspondence you know um, share certificates coming in little problems that might arise with delivery of, of shares and things like that and payments are they getting out on time you then spend a good lot of time then reviewing people's portfolio you do that on a regular regular basis. It's all reviewing, researching, recommending for the stockbroker. Well, actually, it's not. Darina Heavey gets paid to flog shares to people. The other stuff is what she does when she's not flogging shares. And she only does that so she knows the best shares to flog. Her job is something of a mixture between estate agent, bank manager, economist and bookie. 
a combination of caution, a good nose for a bargain, and highly technical business knowledge. The most common one um, is the straight share, where you, um, the, the, the company issues so many shares. In other words, there are 230 million shares in Woodchester, for example. And uh, so everybody who owns one of those, they own 213 millionth of the company, which is obviously and a, sort of a simplification of, of it. So um, that's the most common, and you're an ordinary member. But sometimes you could be a voting member or a non-voting member, and the price can differ slightly. Or you can get a yield on your stock. It might be a loan, um, which is a different type of, of share as well. And you might get a different type of dividend. For example, you might get a higher income from a loan stock than you would from an ordinary share. Now, it might not mean that you have any more control over the company, but it just means you get maybe more income. Uh, and in the event, it comes down to the theoretical thing, in the event of a winding up of the company, some shareholders are going to get paid out before others. And that was the simple explanation. Luckily, for the simple punter, such knowledge isn't really necessary. The important thing is how many shares you have. In the mature world of stockbroking, size is everything. Say, for instance, you own the majority of the shares in the Allied Ulster Bank. If you want to make Bing Crosby managing director of the bank, you can. Well, you can and you can't. You can appoint him, but this probably wouldn't go down too well in the stock market. The AUB is now being run by a singer with no banking experience who's been dead for the last 10 years. Confidence in the AUB would go down. The price of AUB shares would go down. The value of the entire bank would be reduced just because old Bing was running it. Bad business. The old crooner would have to go. Every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. It's not just bits of companies that Darina Heavey sells, it's bits of governments as well. To give them their proper title, government gilts. Government gilts are loans issued by the government. Um, they are a, a, a source of funding by, by, the, by, the, by the government and they issue, uh, they issue these loans, which we call government gilts, um, all the time. And they give a yield. Uh, on, on these loans to make it attractive for people to take them up and they usually issue them for a certain length of time. They might issue um, a, a, a guilt uh, that will expire in 1999. So if you buy a guilt, you know you're going to get back your money in 1999. In order to make it attractive, they might issue a, a, a loan at a certain price and it will mature at, um, for, we'll say they issue it at a price of £90. But they say in the year 1999, we'll give you back £100 for every £90 that you spend with us today. And every year, uh, up to the year 1999, we'll give you a yield on that or a dividend, um, for want of a better word, um, and the yield might be 6% or something like that. It's generally... Um, a, 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 it's generally a fraction or a margin over interest rates as well. You know, it's usually dictated by that. Gilts are issued by most governments around the world. So if the rent is due on Dáil Éireann or if somebody needs a new mark, the government can get a dig out by issuing a gilt. If you buy a gilt, you get an interest each year plus a dividend on your original investment back at the end of a fixed period. You could come close to doubling your money, which can't be bad. Indeed, it is so good that gilts are bought and sold many times during their lifetime and form a large part of the stockbroker's business. 
Not so good for the government though, as it seems a rather costly way of borrowing money. Why they just don't send Bertie around to the local AUB isn't clear. Perhaps Bing Crosby won't give loan approval. Time was when the stock market was all about who you knew. Nowadays, it's what you knew. Reports of market activity around the world, company profit reports, rumours, gossip and even barefaced lies all have to be studied. Every morning, the good stockbroker has to arrive at a view. In Ireland, there are no, there's no market makers, so people are sort of thinking exactly what will they say to people, what will their actual view be on a specific subject on the day, you know, what will their view be on the guilt market or the equity market, you know, how do they, how do they think, you know, what's happened, you know, the Germans this morning cut their repro rate, is that going to have an effect in Ireland or is it not going to have an effect in Ireland? So all that type of thing, you know, is a sort of a background to the view that one sort of puts over to one's clients. And one can't look at one market, one market in isolation, one has to look at, sort of look at America, see what happened overnight, see what happened overnight in all the Far Eastern markets, you know, look at the currencies, and then sort of try and sort of blend them all together into a sort of a half an Irish stew, and then come out with sort of a nice piece of meat which you can sell, which you can talk to a client about. You know, and in markets go up and down. And I think that's what one has to remember. But that it is a market, and you know, the market is subject to rumours and subject to gossip and subject to, to views and analysis and company reports. I mean, it's like throwing a pile of things into a pot and, you know, everything moves the market. I would say rumours, you certainly do get rumours, like you get rumours that um, the, you might get a cut in interest rates and people say, oh, it's a cut in interest rates, you know, it's very, very good for, say, the banking sector. Um, and people may, may come in and buy stocks and shares, but it wouldn't, I would sweep would be a sort of a, would be a sort of a too sort of wider statement. People make decisions and sort of say, you know, maybe this, in, this cut may come. It is a market. Scandal, rumour and the occasional grain of truth can get the market going, especially if it's political. Most of the major banks held internal meetings today to discuss when and by how much retail interest and mortgage rates will have to rise as a result of the uh, Political events are hugely relevant because of movements in interest rates, changes of um, uh, government and whether a government is a Labour or a Conservative government will obviously affect whether there are going to be more privatisations or not. In fact we saw that uh, only last year when there was the, the, the vote in, or when there was general election in the UK and the Conservatives got in and the performance of the stock market was fantastic after the Conservatives got in because everybody felt well if Labour got in, that they might um, uh, bring, not continue with the privatisation. Anything that creates doubt over the future of the economy, either nationally or internationally, um, uh, is bad for the stock market. Uh, for example, if there's any doubt over um, the, the standing of the government in a major country like the US or the UK or indeed nowadays in Russia, uh, that will tend to have a, a negative knock-on into the stock market. On the other hand, of course, I mean, uh, by the same token, if people have faith that a new government in a country is going to have a positive effect on the economy, that would be good for the stock market. Uh, a resurgence of militarism in some parts of the, the old eastern bloc, it might be good for the defence industry in the US, but it might be bad for the general stock market in Western Europe. You can, of course, uh, 
see that on occasions over the years uh, the Irish stock market has been badly affected by uh, terrorist campaigns in the UK where it mightn't seem logical but if a bomb went off in London and it was associated with Ireland in some in, in any way you would find that certain fund managers would regard that as a negative thing about Ireland and would be less willing to invest in Irish stocks. There's no great logic to that business-wise but it has happened. Boris Yeltsin and the IRA can move the markets, but what about the rest of us? And should the rest of us be moved by the markets? The answer to the first is probably no. The answer to the second, probably maybe. Remember gilts, loans taken out by the government. When the time comes to pay back those loans, where do you think the government gets the money from? The word starts with T, and for most of us, ends with ouch. Remember too that if things are bad on the stock market, companies suffer, and companies employ people. The stock market is usually six to nine months ahead of any sort of economic move that actually happens. Stock, stock brokers are always sort of, they're in the, they're in the fortune telling business. They like to sort of the, the, the woman with the glass ball and the, and the whiskers and the, the, the sheet over her head. Stock brokers are like that. They're trying to sort of say, you know, what's going to happen in six months' time? They're looking at the sort of economy now, but they're really looking at the economy and saying, you know, if the economy does this in six months' time, how is it going to affect the various companies? And, you know, how is that actually going to affect that company against other companies? And that's what it's all about. So they're actually looking sort of six to nine months ahead. And there's more. It turns out that many of us are indirectly dabbling on the stock market anyway. Unknown to himself or herself, the average person on the street uh, is almost certainly an indirect investor in the stock market. For example, if you were in a company that operates a pension scheme, uh, the money that you pay into the pension won't be invested in a normal bank account because that won't generate enough uh, return over the years to give you a proper pension. Almost certainly that money is invested uh, through a pension fund in the stock exchange, either in gifts, which is the government debt, or in equities, which is in shares of companies. And it might also, of course, be in property. Uh, furthermore, if you invest in one of these unit link funds or you take out an insurance policy to hopefully give you a certain amount of money when you're 60 something, uh, that money to give the right level of return uh, to be available for you in time will almost certainly be invested in the stock market as well. In fact, traditionally you find that trade unions, when they have cash balances in hand, would look for a better return than investing in a bank account and they would also put it into the stock market. In me. And there's even more again. The fact is that your friendly local stockbroker would like you, yes you, to give the stock market a whirl. The stockbroker wants to be your friend. We've noticed that there are more and more people um, buying stocks and shares. You know, the market has been, it was a very good stock market last year, which actually basically means that people, um, you know, are interested in it and they're talking about it more. And it's, you know, and I think... The brokers are making a better effort at advertising it themselves. I mean, for example, we ourselves have got all the stock prices on RTE Airtel. The minimum size that we recommend clients to invest in any one share would be around the £3,000 mark because the way the commission stru structure is and the way we charge for dealing, it doesn't make sense to deal in a smaller amount than that. And I think you'd find that standard right through all the stockbrokers in town. And the largest size is the sky's the limit, really. It depends on what income or what uh, disposable money anybody might have. Trust in me.
The type of client can vary from a college student trying to get experience dealing in stocks and shares to the next stage which would be somebody who has started in work um, and has maybe uh, some, some money, they're starting to get on the treadmill and they're starting to earn a bit of money and they don't want to just leave their money on deposit, they want to move it into the stock market and they've read about good returns to su successful people, be they men or women, I'm finding enough like more women are phoning now and they're looking for better returns again. Um, they can be owners of companies or um, working or uh, there, there is any um, particular um, breakdown at all and you have a lot of retired people. So if you're a student and you stumble across three grand you forgot you had, you know what to do. Or do you? Should we trust these people? And who should we ask for an independent view? Well, we could go back to Brendan McGrath in The Times or we could ask the person he would ask, Jill Kirby. He'd ask her for two reasons. One, because she writes the family money column in The Times and two, because he's married to her. I think stockbrokers uh, realise that really the money that they're going to make is going to be on big institutions and bigger private clients. It's a nice thought that people would go in and off the street and say, I want 500 Smurfit shares, but it really doesn't happen that way. Most people who don't have a very good risk profile would prefer or probably should put their money into something safer like the building society accounts or the special savings accounts or the post office even. And the other thing too is you should be careful about the kind of advice that you get from stockbrokers as well because um, they might recommend all sorts of different uh, stocks but they won't have any qualms about um, you're losing your money. I mean they'll just say look that's, that's the risks that you take. It's a little bit like, like going to the, 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 uh, the track and the race course. If you aren't prepared to lose all the money that you bring with you, then you're being rather silly because there's a very good chance that you will lose all your money. And it's the same in playing with the stock market if you don't have money to lose. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler, we were both too tired to sleep. All a bit risky then. Risk is what the markets are all about. For the brokers it's a lifestyle of high drama and high stress. Well, sometimes it is. Yeah, it is an exciting business. It's, um, it's an enjoyable business to be in. It's, it's a business where you never know what's happening from, from day to day. I mean, just as you're talking to me this weekend and on Friday, everybody was talking about a major meltdown on Wall Street. But what actually happened, Wall Street turned around and went better. So you, you can never be, you, you can never, you can never, it's not a business where you can be dogmatic. It's not a dogmatic business. So it's a business you just don't know where it's going to go next. So then, yes, it is an exciting business. I think that it's like any job. You know, you've got to manage stress. Stress is all about management. You know, you, you know, you've got if you're able, and the key is is to be able to sort of turn off, relax uh, after the job, and you know, remember that you know there are you know you can enjoy yourself after the job, but it is a stressful job when it's on at the time, and there, there are. Obviously there are days where there's no pressure and there's days where there are pressures, like most jobs. But I would say as a job, yes, it is, it is um, a job with some with pressure. You'll notice at times when there's certainly excitement at the market, if there's a, a dramatic uh, turnaround in share prices, whether it's upwards or downwards, uh, and then you'll be madly trying to get on and talk to all your clients all at the same time, 
to tell them what's happening in case they need to make a change or in case they're exposed to a share or they might have some shares and suddenly the share price has changed because the managing director might have died or something. It's very important that everybody knows that if it's a very, you know, if it's a, a widely held share or if somebody announces a rights issue, it's very important that all the people who own the shares get to know this and then you're under pressure to try and phone as many people as possible and at the same time deal on behalf of the ones you've gotten to and, and that. But in general, I would say enough, most of the time things are very calm and you're working through um, servicing your client and uh, on just making sure that he's up to date and that he, he's not being ignored. It isn't, it isn't going to be as dramatic um, all the time. You couldn't, you probably couldn't cope with that anyway. You know, you'd be wrecked. Wild one, wild one, wild one. Of course you'd be wrecked. We've all seen Wall Street. We know what it's like. Big deals, backstabbing, power lunches, red braces, red Ferraris, and lots and lots of money. In good market times, when people are doing well, they like to show off, and brokers are no different than anybody else. You know, when things are doing well and they, they can find they can afford a pair, if they can afford a pair of red braces, they buy a pair of red braces. You know, it's just the same as, you know, you get a, a pop star, what does he do? He puts his gold earring in his ear, he's done bloody well or something like that. So it's the same thing. I don't know anybody who uh, has a Ferrari of any type. Uh, I think there are hardly any Porsches around in Dublin either in the stock working uh, community. Uh, the red braces phenomenon was very much a London one at the, in the late 80s. I don't think it ever caught on here. Why? It was very much an image thing associated with the yuppie market in London in the 80s. Uh, there was never really that development here. It's much smaller, uh, a bit more conservative. Uh, and perhaps more respectable. Brokers who are actually uh, being paid on performance in bad market times, they are poorly paid, I can tell you. And you know, stockbrokers' income is, goes up and down probably much more so than any other type of income. A bad year, he would still sort of earn his basic salary anyway, which would certainly be probably not much short of 40 or 50,000. Um, a good year, no, he could, quad he could quadruple that and maybe earn a couple of hundred if if things are going well. Currency dealers, they're paid on how much profit they, they would earn for their for their bank or whoever is employing them. And if they make a large profit on a currency transaction, well, they will get sort of very well paid for that. They would probably, the top paid would probably be the very good currency dealers and the very good dealers in government stocks, government deals. They are the, they're probably the top of the pile. <laughs> Currency dealers working on the international money markets. Now there's the folks who pull in their really big bucks. Boom, 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 boom. Gonna shoot you right down. Most of us certainly don't drive red Ferraris. We drive very normal, conventional cars. Um, obviously, there are those in some areas of the market who have an image like this, but I think that's true of all areas of business. Uh, there are these exceptions in all aspects of work. Well, is your car red at least? It is when it's clean. <laughs> Business, um, in any sense, can be glamorous if, if one thinks of it as being you know, driven, if you will, by, 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 by people uh, who, who lunch well, who, who dress well, um, and who deal sometimes in you know, what seems like rather glamorous amounts of money. But in fact, that's, that is the glamorous side of it. It's all about, it's about hard work. It's about uh, servicing customers. It's about uh, being there for people when they need you. And that's more the reality of it. And certainly that involves sometimes that I'm having nice lunches with them. But uh, that's very much, I think, the, uh, that's, that's the icing on the cake, as it were. And that's after a hard day's work. Um, will you be paid fairly well, though, for your hard day's work, dealers in general? 
dealers, I guess, tend to be reasonably well paid, certainly not exorbitantly so, as many people might imagine. That's Donald Ford, a chief money dealer for AIB Group Treasury, located down in the fancy financial services centre in Dublin. He says money dealers are relatively well paid. What that means is that they seem well off when you compare them to, well, just about anybody really. Many of them pull in a six-figure salary. So what do they have to do to earn it? The money market is basically where banks buy and, buy and sell cash from each other. It isn't um, a market where I suppose if the punter, if you want to call him that, is really involved. This is where banks who are short of money overnight, say, say, say a bank needs £10 million to, to, to tide it over overnight, they will go into the Dublin money market through a money broker and they'll find another bank willing to lend them the money um, overnight at, at, at a certain uh, percentage interest rate. And uh, they buy and sell different sorts of currencies? Yeah, that's... Um, the currency market then is effectively that, yeah, where uh, big institutional investors, and again, this would be not uh, not private investors, not the punter, because the sums involved are so huge, where they will take where they will take a gamble effectively on which way they think the exchange rate of the Irish pound or any currency is going to go. If they think the if they think um, the value of the pound is going to rise, well then they'll buy it in, in anticipation of a profit. If they think it's going to fall, they're going to sell it so as to get out before. Um, the value falls, but this this would involve any currency. It isn't just the Irish pound. Um, you can yen, equus, anything. Basically, any currency on earth uh, can be. Tr the, you can you can do deals in, on the currency markets. As you might expect, Donald Ford doesn't quite warm to the idea of money dealers as gamblers. We'd like to think it's not guesswork. Um, it's about interpretation, and for many of us, that's about um, looking certainly at what it is that's happening in the economy around us, in the financial markets around us, and I guess being logical about what the implications of that are for the immediate situations in which typically our clients or we ourselves find ourselves. Um, it's about reacting to that. We don't think it's guesswork. We think it's, it's, it's prudent and logical management, if you will. At the end of the day, as a money manager, you are probably borrowing and or lending um, money, essentially funds, or one is buying and selling Irish pounds against foreign currency. You're doing that to respond to orders and demands from your client, and when that's achieved, you are doing it then to make, to make sure that the bank's portfolio is kept within the parameters that are dictated to by the management. What that means is that at the end of each day, the bank wants to ensure that it has made a profit from the day's trading. If it has to buy a currency that may lose some value overnight, it may buy another currency which will gain value, thus balancing out the loss. And this isn't a few hundred quid we're talking about here. This is often millions of pounds. It's a tricky balancing act, one that requires lots of careful study and analysis, not just of the market itself, but also of world events. Just like the stock market, the money market is deeply sensitive to the whim and rumour of politics. It certainly stimulates clients and business people into wanting to do business in the market, and obviously when they want to do business, then immediately that results in business for us. Uh, movements on the money market uh, leave some people slightly better uh, off financially, I guess. Um, it leaves others uh, less well off, um, and that's the nature of it. Um, 
Yes, so certainly in answer to your question, there are winners, there are losers, um, and obviously depending on the size of transactions involved, uh, some people lose more than others. But again, this must be seen in context. That's part of everyday life. It's not a peculiarity. To the money markets, buying currency is somewhat like buying shares in a company. If the market thinks Republic of Ireland PLC is doing well, then it will be keen to buy Irish pounds. What the market looks for is prudent financial management by governments. They like countries which take as few loans as possible and always balance their books. What they don't like to see is governments spending money. As one money broker admitted to me, such policies don't directly create employment or prosperity. What they do guarantee is continued profits for the good folks on the money markets. So, if Bertie Ahern announces a new plan for the economy, the market will listen very closely indeed. And Bertie knows it. Government policy can affect the markets, but the markets can affect government policy. Brendan McGrath explains. If, say, the government decides, OK, just for, for an example, that um, they wanted to borrow another billion pounds because to build a whole load of roads or something like that, that would cause horror in the markets because it would be seen as sort of government borrowing for when the whole policy should be... Like, we're, the most, we're, the most, we're one of the most indebted nations in the world. We've borrowed we've 24 billion pounds worth of debt which is, is, only, is only now stabilising after, after about seven years of pretty tight control of, of uh, the economy. If people thought that the government was going to just borrow to spend on politically favourable um, projects or something like that, then that would be like you'd find sort of the, the price of government stocks would fall, interest rates might go up then, uh, and it would, the share market would probably fall because if interest rates rise, share prices tend to fall and that, that, that would be where sort of um, political sort of uh, the political process can be reflected in the, in, in the markets. And what kind of effect would that have on the economy in general and the person on the street? Well if interest rates go, if interest rates go up on the money market then that's going to be uh, reflected in the, the interest rates um, which companies pay, which you and I pay for our mortgage and if interest rates go up economic growth tends to sort of tends to uh, stagnate because the cost the cost of borrowing has risen that's that is the real tangible effect um, is on in, on interest rates and on the exchange rate too if people think that they're not carrying out a policy which is which is stable then the people will basically sell the Irish pound if they sell the Irish pound the exchange rate will fall we'll go back we'll go back above parity against sterling which is very bad for exporters because it makes their produce more expensive in foreign markets. So there's a whole series of ways that um, government policy, which isn't favourably received in the, mar in the markets, can be uh, reflected on the ground. So would it be fair to say that the government would, uh, when it's developing its, its policy, would mm -hmm. keep an eye on what the market? Oh, very much so. Like the Department of Finance and the Central Bank, like they would be, they would keeping a very, very close eye on what's going on. Like they would be watching the markets on a daily basis. That's, the, that's, that's part of their job. The markets giveth and the markets taketh away. If the markets think that the government we elected is spending too much money on roads or hospitals, or if it thinks that the PESP this year is too extravagant, it will retaliate by sending up interest rates in the value of our pound. Both moves which will hurt our economy, and us on the street. Do, 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 down, do, be, do, down, down. So it's no surprise that the markets and the government have had their little tiffs. 
Now, it's, it's quite possible that um, banks making profits on the money markets or on currency markets is not going to coincide with uh, government economic policy. Um, some banks, say during the currency crisis, and I suppose again, the, the, the one bank should re remain nameless given the sort of that they were also being accused of economic sabotage at the time. Some banks took a policy decision um, in favour of devaluation. These last were, year, these were Irish banks. These were Irish banks. Yes, others, other, other banks didn't, and the one and the one, and effectively they would have sold the Irish pound, and which would brought and that effectively brought devaluation closer. And that at the time that did not coincide with government policy, but it was very much to maintain the value of the pound. But at the end of the day, they had about the inevitable, and as I think as Margaret Thatcher said, you can't book the markets. At the end of the day, the markets will triumph over government because there's, there's the, the mountain of money that, that's there. Um, just can't beat, beat off any sort of intervention by central banks or anything like that. Last year, Ireland suffered a major currency crisis when the value of the Irish pound seemed to be spiralling out of control. At the time, the news was full of government criticism of shadowy money speculators. In other words, banks and other financial institutions. So does Donald Byrne think of himself as a money speculator? I certainly hope they were not referring to people like me. If they were, I suspect it's because of a lack of real understanding as to what it is um, that people like me do. Um, our business at that time was to meet the needs of our customers. Some of our customers certainly um, at that time were concerned, um, concerned so much that they, sufficiently concerned, that they saw fit, some of them, to move their portfolios from Irish pounds into foreign currencies. Um, we have an obligation to service that need. Um, sometimes that results in we having to sell Irish pounds on their behalf. Well, we certainly do not see that uh, as speculation where it is a response to a real business need on their part. Um, our business is about servicing um, their requirements. Um, so in many ways, we are sometimes concerned that we are seen in this potentially in this role as people who may be acting in a way that's not entirely proper. That's certainly not the reality of the situation. That's certainly not the nature of our business. Our business is about responding to the requirements of those people in commerce throughout the country, the clients of the bank. Um, we respond to what it is that they require us to do. Um, it is their business in aggregate that dictates what it is that's happening Irish pounds, uh, what's happening in the money markets. We're simply the agents by which it's done. When push comes to shove, those who play the markets will shove the interests of government aside and push for continued profits. Which could be fair enough, only for the fact that such decisions can affect the cost of our mortgages, the price of food in the shops, even our job security. The stock and money markets are a select group of people who wield enormous influence over the nuts and bolts of the lives of ordinary people. Yet no one elected them, no one asked them, and in most cases we don't even know who they are. As to why they do what they do, well, guess. Is this making money out of money? Is, is it all motivated by greed? Uh, no, it certainly is not. Um, this business um, is about keeping the oils of the the wheels of the economy oiled. Um, I think that's the way we should we would see it. I suppose if anybody wants to make money out of any investment, uh, you could call that greed. Now, if that's greed, well then fine, people are greedy. But then greedy people will also tend to put money on a deposit account as opposed to a current account because they're greedy for the interest on it. Certainly there is greed, and I mean, I don't find anything sort of particularly wrong with profit. 
And I mean, everybody's looking for profit. They're either looking for higher wages or more this or more that. Well, it's a market. It's a market where you want, quite simply, it's a market where people go to make money. And if that's greed, well, I suppose it's greed. Uh, people, if people want to make a profit, people invest in the market to make a profit. People put money in a deposit account to make, to, uh, to gain interest. So it's, um, I suppose greed might be a strong word for it, but the, the objective is to make money. There's no question about that. Like it or not, we all participate in this system. If the markets are greedy, then so are we. Then again, there is a difference of scale. Greed for most of us could be 20 quid. For the marketeer, it could be 20 million. But that's life. That's modern capitalism. And for the time being, at least, no one seems to have a better idea. Now that may not be love 